Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Profoundly Pointless. My name is Nick Vinzant. Coming up in this episode, the eyes and ears of racing and the best sounds. Once you're up on the roof and you're the one with a radio and you're the one with a button and a restart happens, you're like, holy moly, these cars are going fast. I started whenever I was in high school sweeping floors, cleaning up shop. My mom worked out a deal to get the bus driver to drop me off at a race shop that was not far from our house. Three wide and two wide, sometimes four wide, the entire day, bumper to bumper. And if you can slip and move, and it's like a high-speed game of chess. And you're just, you're planning moves miles ahead of whenever it actually happens. I want to thank you so much for joining us. If you get a chance, subscribe. Leave us a rating or review. We really appreciate it. It really helps us out. I know I've been saying this for a while, but next week we are going to be launching the new voicemail system. We're trying to make the show a lot more interactive, so we're going to have all of those details for you. I'm really excited about it. I hope it works. And looking forward to making you guys a much bigger part of the show. So our first guest, is perched high above the crowd with a pair of binoculars and a radio. He is the eyes and ears for some of NASCAR's biggest names. And he has this fascinating insight into the drivers, the tracks, and what NASCAR is really like. Even if you don't really like racing, it's just, it's so interesting to hear how all of this really works and the ins and outs of what goes in to racing cars at 200-plus miles an hour. This is NASCAR spotter Tab Boyd. So what is what is a NASCAR spotter? What are you doing? I have to admit, it is a really good job. It's a very unique position. We stand on the top of the control tower, which is usually above the grandstands of the racetrack. We have two-way radios that we're able to talk to the driver and the crew, mainly the crew chief, but we have direct communication with the NASCAR driver during the race. So our main objective is to keep them safe, keep the cars safe, and help them navigate through traffic. But there's tons of other responsibilities that we have during the race. So we are the liaison between the NASCAR officials 
and telling them messages, whether it's a penalty or position on the track, things of that nature. So during the race, we have to be on it from the drop of the green to the drop of the checker, whether it's green flag, caution flag, or red flag. There's so much information being processed that we have to pass along and look for. So it's a it's a cool deal. Why would a driver need this, I guess? With these race cars, they're closed cockpit. So these cars, with all the safety equipment that the drivers have, they're in a very confined seat. They have headrests that really hold their head straight in case of an accident. They have a full face helmet. So the cockpit is very tight knit and you would be claustrophobic if, if that sort of thing bothers you. But they're able to see straight in front of them and they have a mirror just like a street car that shows what's going on behind them. Other than that, they have no view of what's going on. So if just put in, like if you were going down the interstate, and you weren't able to turn your head to look right or left, if you had somebody sitting beside you that was able to look all around and say, okay, you can merge to the right now, you just turn over and, and go to the right. So that's what we're doing through the radio. We're giving them what's going on around them. If somebody's faster or slower, what they're doing that's either helping them or hurting them as far as lanes, because the tracks are several lanes wide. So we're looking for so many things like how aggressive they are entering the corner, meaning speed. Like some places are over 200 miles an hour entering the corner. So if they could back up the entry to go a little slower in, and by slower I mean just a few miles per hour, so that the tires grip better to have a better speed through the center. So we're looking at all this stuff. Okay, I don't know anything about NASCAR. so <laughs> But to me, listening to this, it's like, I kind of feel like you're driving the car. Oh, it's it. It's the next best thing. That, that's for sure. It, you're so involved in what's going on. You you have the the strategy part of it, and and it's super intense. I know you're doing a lot of different things, but if you had to say a primary focus, are you primarily watching your driver, or are you primarily watching the other cars around your driver? There's very little focus on your car, actually. So you we always have binoculars. Even if it's a short track, you have them in your hand in case there's a bump up or car damage. You can quickly look at what's going on. And that's also to uh, to clear them. Like if they're in a tight battle and they need to squeeze up to the wall, you're telling them whether they're clear or not. And a lot of times they can see in their mirror that these guys are good. Now, we're talking about the best 40 drivers in the country. And some some would say the world, but... You are just helping them guide through the day. They they know what's going on most of the time, but there's that little percentage where they might be in the, in a battle and you can help them slip up into a hole that they need to be in to then gain speed for the next lap. So, yeah, it's it's sheer intensity. Do you fill out a job application? Like, how'd you get this? Did you just, did you just go you know, down there one day, or how'd you get this? I was thinking about this the other day, how – very lucky I am. So this is my 25th year traveling on a NASCAR race team. I started whenever I was in high school, sweeping floors, cleaning up shop. I would I would get the bus driver. My, my mom worked out a deal to get the bus driver to drop me off at a race shop that was not far from our house. So I literally would get off the bus and go clean up a race shop after school. And that's just what I did. You know, we a lot of people play sports or do other things, but 
I grew up with my dad racing short tracks my entire childhood. So it wasn't new to me. You know, I'd been around race cars forever. I was at the racetrack when I was two weeks old. So I've become very lucky to be able to be around it, getting to know so many people in the sport. And I've never actually filled out a true blue job application. You know, it's, you get to know people, you make connections. The, I would say it's a lot like a, a baseball or football team where people know the set of skills that this player has and they want you on their team, or you might fit in, to a certain mold of, of the driver, you know, an aggressive driver needs someone that's calm on the radio or a calm driver needs somebody that's aggressive on the radio. So there's so many things that play into the success of the race car. So I, I've been very lucky to be able to progress and stay into the sport as long as I have. Can you say like, okay, my driver won because of the spotter or they lost because of the spotter. Ricky Stenhouse Jr., he would have won, but that Tab Boyd guy is up there. <laughs> told him to break when he should have gassed. There are some tracks that we race at, say Daytona, Talladega, that we consider super speedways. And as a spotter, we really love those racetracks because we feel that we have more of an input of what's going on with the car uh, and how to navigate through the traffic than we do at the other places because the draft is so much into play. They're three wide and two wide, sometimes four wide the entire day, bumper to bumper. And if you can slip and move and it's like a high speed game of chess and you're just, you're planning moves miles ahead of whenever it actually happens. Yes, you. there are a couple of tracks throughout the year that you could definitely be the one who helps win. But uh, there's a saying that, that's been around a long time. You're not going to help them win very often, but you sure can make, make them lose. <laughs> that makes a lot of sense, right? Yeah. Like you, you can mess it up. Absolutely. Yeah. Is that, is that fair or is that just the part of the job? Well, that's part of the job. I mean, we understand how much is at stake. I mean, each one of us, we're lucky enough that maybe 40 people in the world get to make a living doing what we do. And you are responsible for millions, tens of millions of dollars worth of equipment. And so you have to be sharp whenever the green flag drops. You have to be on it, focused, what's going on, because you have the the race team you have a, an organization that might have 500 people working in it every day of every week and all their work goes to the racetrack and you're responsible for it and so it's you and the driver out there and then they have the the pit stops or the pit crews got to be fast and they have to do their job it's a lot of responsibility but I don't get nervous before races anymore. It's almost excitement because you know the preparation that you have. And we talk a lot about different situations. So you're you're building up to the moment of the race. So nothing's a, a surprise, you could say. But having said that, you've got to be ready for anything because every single race has its own personality. There could be a day where, man, the race is going quick. There's no cautions and then they're like just for instance uh we ran a race at nashville had two lightning delays we had a rainstorm go through 
and it ended at almost midnight. So you have to be ready for any situation. When you're talking to the driver, is it like, go left, go right, watch 21? Or are you more like longer form? All right, so two laps from now, you're going to want to be able to drift over. Like, how does the conversation usually go? On restarts, that's whenever is the most critical timing, I think, because you have a lot going on, a lot of information going at a short amount of time. So the lingo is quick. It's either clear, not clear. You have one outside, inside. That means to the right or left. And they know exactly what you're talking about because they know where they're at on the track. If you say outside, they know that someone's to their right and they can't use the whole racetrack. So having said that, there's a lot of quick lingo on a restart because everybody, that's the most critical time jockeying for position and putting yourself to where you need to be for a long haul. So you're going hard as you can trying to get every inch. And then you all of a sudden have to go into a mode where, okay, we have to make these tires last 50 laps. We can't ding up our car. We can't hit the wall. We can't do this or do that. We have to stay out of trouble. So you automatically start racing the stopwatch. Start ra- I, say, I say race the clock. And that means focus on a fast lap time and pacing yourself basically because if you go too hard for a short amount of time you're going to wear tires out go slower heat everything up if you can just be consistent most of the time that's better in the long haul so there's a there's a lot of strategy to it putting all kind of humbleness aside like what makes you good at well whenever i was younger i raced short tracks quite a bit i built built my, my own cars i'm a fabricator by trade so I learned how to weld, cut, build, mainly the whole race car. So I respect the process that it takes to build these things because they are works of art. These these race cars are so nice whenever they hit the, the ground of the racetrack before the race weekend starts. And they're truly works of art. And I think the respect that I have for the fabricators and the mechanics and the engineering that all goes into building the car and then having a little bit of experience behind the wheel. I never went to a high level drive. It's like local Saturday night short track racing, but I know what it's like for the car to be loose. I know what it's like for the car to be tight and not handle well. I've experienced the brakes not working properly or the steering being heavy in your hand. Lots of little situations that you're only going to know what it's like by by doing it. So that helps a ton, uh, being able to relate to what the driver's feeling so that you're not just saying, oh man, you need to go faster. Why can't you do this? Or why can't you do that? Because they're in the car. It is super hot in those cars. When the car's not handling properly, they are hard to drive. Even when they're handling good, they're hard to drive. So it's, I think that I understand what the driver's going through and the process that it takes for the cars to get there. And I try to uh, apply that and, and make a good day out of it. What happens more often? Does the driver generally, is he just going to agree and be like, okay, I'm doing that. Or is it kind of a back and forth? Like, no, you're not seeing what I'm doing. It's a, there's a, it could go either way there. So there's different series, a spot in the truck series the Xfinity series and the cup series in NASCAR. So different levels of experience for the drivers 
as well as uh, the experience of the team. You know, some teams are small, some teams are powerhouses, some teams have uh, 100 engineers working, some teams have five engineers working. So you have to let all that mesh together. And a lot of that is the preparation of during the week, communicating with your team, understanding what the track is like that we're going to, like, for instance, this weekend, we're going to a, a road course that has 15 or 16 turns. So it's going to be a very, very unique weekend. So we know what we're getting into. We know what to look for. We we try not to be hard on each other, but there are times that tempers flare. And and it's mainly not at each other, but sometimes it is. Like if a, if a car is not hand, handling to their liking and they can't understand why we can't fix it, and you have to be the liaison to say, hey, it's it's all right. Let's make the best of today and, and get through it because you're always going to be racing next weekend. You ever just yell at a driver like, you're not doing <laughs> like, right? Or is that kind of like, sometimes is that like yelling yeah. at the CEO? Like, you can't just do that. Yeah, even if it, is his fault. it gets a little sensitive every now and then. You got to massage it a little bit. Like, well, absolutely. Could have gone a little faster in that corner. (laughs) Yeah. There are so many times that uh, how you say something is definitely, and I I learn, I learn every weekend, something different, something new. Whenever I was younger, I was pretty hotheaded and, and I, I don't know what reputation is, all that stuff, because I do what I think is right. And, a lot of people do. I respect the people that get mad about it because they want it and they want to do well. So if somebody gets crashed or somebody does something they shouldn't to them and they're just, oh, oh well, well, that kind of, I want somebody that's aggressive about it. You know, <laughs> we usually don't go into this this early, but a lot of the questions are good ones. So, okay. Are you ready for some harder slash listener it. submitted questions? Let's do it. Let's, let's fire away. I don't want to start with this one. I'm going to start, <laughs> oh boy. I'm going to start with this one. So you have to basically be paying attention for what, like four hours, five hours, just nonstop, right? Yes. Oh, yeah. What if you have to pee? You just pee on yourself. No, <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> are you though? No. Are you? <laughs> no. I, honestly, there are little opportunities that you're able to go. Like if there's a stage break, if there is a red flag, a lot of times when there's a red flag, like when the lightning popped just the other other day at the last race, you see everybody immediately headed down the stairs to, to hit the restroom because it, you never miss an opportunity. But honestly, most of the time you're really, really hot and you're sweating because we're on the top of the grandstands when there's no shade. Oh, full yeah. Sun. You are sweating a ton and you are literally so busy and so focused. You don't realize that you have to go until after the race. Are are you mainly watching what's happening or anticipating what's going to happen? That's a good question because different racetracks have different personalities. I like to say a short track. You can, you can start to see trouble brewing at some of these places. Like if, uh, if a driver does get angry at another driver at say Martinsville or Richmond, there's probably going to be payback. So you are aware that there's going to be a bump or 
somebody putting somebody in a bad position to to slow their speed down so they can get in front of them. But you can start to see trouble brewing at, at different places like uh, Daytona or Talladega that we we talked about because people try to fit into a spot that might not be there or force their way in. A lot of times trouble starts brewing when it's time to pit under green flag and everybody's trying to get to the bottom to get the pit road and then trouble brews there. So yeah, that's a good question. You, you have to anticipate if you see people starting to bunch up and momentum being lost, people start to get desperate to get back going. And that's when trouble starts brewing. It's kind of like I have two boys, right? A five and a three and you can, you can see them like, okay, yeah, you got about five more minutes and then one of them's <laughs> here we go. Absolutely. Now this person says, and correct me if I'm wrong, but there's that spotters will get into it every now and then, every now and then. Yeah. So we, we have to get along to a certain extent because we are literally elbow to elbow every weekend. So we all know each other really well. And, you know, I've gotten to the point where if you do get into it, it's over with whenever the race is over, you know, and a lot of times, a lot of times you're relaying messages from a driver to another driver and you understand where they're coming from. So yeah, every now and then people will, will get into it and there'll be a quick argument, but it don't last long because you got to get back to your task, you know? So it's like, Hey man, screw you. Got to get back to work. <laughs> right. It's kind of like, I don't have time yeah. for this, but yeah. then if you're all, if you're all so close together, right? Like, couldn't, do you then just listen to the spotter? Like, Oh, this guy's ahead of me. And his spotter just said, he's got to do this. Like, are you nah, listening to the, are you, I don't listen to any other? other. No, I don't, I don't listen to any other people. Cause there's so much going on. You sure don't want to miss anything that you're responsible for listening to another driver. Um, some point. people can, and 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 do but i i don't i focus on what we have to do and worry about keeping our car in position to do well now will you guys ever kind of work then there's teams in nascar right yes well do you guys work with other spotters like hey let's get this guy absolutely yeah so there's a lot of communication on the roof during the race uh like with teammates so the team i work for we're a single car organization however we have a chevrolet so you always want to play well with other chevrolets because all in all we're like a umbrella teammate you want to see your chevrolet people do well chevrolet the the execs at chevrolet want to beat the fords and and then the fords want to beat the toyota everybody wants to beat each other so you try to do your part into helping a fellow teammate or a Chevrolet in my, my instance do well. And the same with the Ford guys and the same with the Toyota guys. So you want to be, there's times where you don't care about anybody and you're trying to jockey for position. But whenever we get to a track like Daytona and Talladega, and I know I keep bringing it up, but that's how big of a deal it is to be in a tight knit group for pure speed because more cars together being disciplined front bumper to bumper and not trying to pass each other is faster than people side by side and jockeying for position. So that's whenever being disciplined really helps. And that's whenever we all communicate. So if you're on the roof during these uh, races, 
the cars will be going 200 miles an hour, but we will be standing next to each other saying, hey, our car is not handling right. We, we might be tight where you have to turn the steering wheel more to make the car turn. So that's scrub speed, right? So if that car is up front, they're getting more air, downforce, it'll turn better. So they might swap spots to help the handling of that car. Or if a car is running hot, they'll need to peek out so that more air gets into the grill. Because whenever they're tucked in behind each other, there's less air coming into the radiator, cooling the car. So there's thousands of scenarios that make a world of difference. And we're communicating that and we're talking with each other. Is that cheating? Or is that that's no, just how it is? That's this, a, this is what, this is how the sport is. That that's how it is because what goes around comes around. You know, if say say there's a piece of paper, like a, a piece of paper like this, a hot dog wrapper comes up to the grill and jams it up. Well, less air is coming in, car will get hot. Well, there's a strategy to being able to get that off your grill. If you work with the person in front of you and say, hey, we have something on our grill. If the car goes and literally touches the other, the paper will come off. And so we'll communicate that and say, hey, we have, and we can do it quickly. Say, hey, we have trash on our grill. We need to get it off. And they'll say, They'll communicate it to their drivers like, yep, okay, so he'll stay still instead of trying to block or move. They'll do that. They can do that under green, and you never, if you weren't listening, you'd never know that's what was going on. But there's a lot of that because you might need that somewhere down the road from them, and they'll say, hey, you two months ago, he didn't let me do it. I'm not going to help him out, and they'll go on. But, but they'll remember if they did do it. So, yeah, let him... Hook him up. But it's never like, hey, it's my it's my kid's birthday. How about you let me Oh, oh no. That don't apply. Racetrack with the best food. Oh, like like at the racetrack or the city? Let's do I'm, both, honestly. So I'll do both. So I would say cities that have the best food, what Las Vegas have mm. awesome restaurants downtown. Kansas City, I always love to go to because of the barbecue. And the same could be said for Texas. I just love uh, the like even Fort Worth, Austin, and Kansas City. Those are my favorite places. And Daytona, of course, with the seafood. They have some great places. Now, racetracks, to be honest with you, I don't eat at a lot of the concession stands because we're so busy during the day. I, I usually make a peanut butter and jelly sandwich and take it with me to the roof. And that's what I have. He just can't go wrong with peanut butter and jelly. Nah, it, it's right? foolproof because you don't you don't want to go eat a jalapeno cheddar brat right oh, before yeah. a race, you know? <laughs> up there, you got to have something in a big that's gold, right? yeah. You got to have yeah. something that's bulletproof. Uh, <laughs> Your favorite track, favorite and least favorite. Not that they're bad, just that like, oh, this is my personal favorite and my personal like. Oh, I struggle with that track. So I have two that are side by side for my favorite. I love Martinsville and Bristol. The the now whenever I say Bristol, I like the night race in August that we have. So it's on the concrete. The atmosphere is electric. The place is just so cool at night. Martinsville I like because it's a short track. It's the same size as Bristol, but Bristol's really high banked and mega fast paced. The The laps are 15 second laps 
every 15 seconds we're running a lap. So it's fast paced, a lot going on. Martinsville is flat and is shaped like a paperclip. So the speeds are nowhere near as high. However, the guys can beat, bang, lean on each other and be very physical while driving. And that makes it super exciting for the fans, I think, because they, they can they can be so close to each other and, and lean and touch without wrecking each other. So it turns into a pretty good race. The track, I think, that is most difficult is Pocono because it is a huge racetrack that is two and a half miles long, shaped like a triangle. And it is very hard to see the cars. Like, from where we stand... Turn one is so far away, the cars look like ants when they turn off into the corner. And then they have a tremendous straightaway that they go down. And then it's another corner. It's just hard to see. And the speeds are super fast, so you want to keep your car and driver safe. But you can't see very well. That's the hard part. And other tracks like uh, Watkins Glen, the track we're going to this weekend is Road America. I feel uneasy being the the main spotter because I can't see the car all the way around. So those are the things that make it uneasy for me. Whenever, Even though we'll bring in some people to help, I, I like to be able to see our car and know that it's in a position to, to be safe or uh, be able to see the passes and whatnot. Because these tracks, the, the road courses are out in the – out in the woods, basically. I mean, it's yeah. like the Road America is a state park, I think. And they're racing in between the trees. And it's so hard to see. And so that's a oh, challenge. It's got to be tough. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So then you just having another, like, you're just kind of waiting for the car to come back into view. And you're yeah. trusting the other yeah. secondary Absolutely. spotter. And like, you're, okay, I hope he's yeah, right. Exactly. And you're literally listening to the radio broadcast to, to hear what's going on. Um, I don't know if you can answer these or not. You may have to be diplomatic or maybe you don't. I don't know. Okay. <laughs> um, other than your, uh, other than your current driver. Yeah. Who did like, who did people look at and like, Oh, that's they probably the best driver, man. It, everybody that starts these races are very good drivers that they, they have won races elsewhere. They're champions in other divisions. They're, they're very fast. And, so you have all the guys that are top tier. And if you, I've always said, if if you're working on a team or if you're a race fan, you should walk as close to the fence as they'll let you get and see how fast these cars go. It is unbelievable. I mean, I've been doing it my whole life. And when the opportunity every now and then where I'm able to walk down to the fence and just see and feel the speed, it you can't hardly describe it. It, it is unbelievable. So even the guy that's running dead last is very, very fast. So it, it's hard to put that into perspective because you're like, oh, man, this guy or this team, is, is they're running 30th. Well, they're still very competitive. There might be, there, there might be four-tenths of a second between the fastest guy on the planet and, and that car, which is – a blink of an eye, you know, I mean, yeah. So it's so hard to, to describe how good everybody is because 
if you slip just a little, you can fall all the way to the rear. <laughs> so, so yeah, it, it, there are so many that are good that it's hard for everybody to have a top tier ride, I guess you could say, and have the, the, the people, the power, the, the sponsors behind them. No, it's kind of just like, right? Like everybody's pretty much equal. But then when you put in other things like the car, well, he ticks up a bit. Spotter. Yeah. Well, he ticks yeah. up a little bit more, right? And yeah. It's just- yeah, it's all situation. And and you do have rookies that are are learning. So I, I think the that you could also split up the experience level of somebody like Kyle Bush, Joey Logano. Those guys are remarkably good. And and you have Kurt Bush, you know, Kyle's brother. He 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 is a champion, you know, and and he wins races a lot. And so the list could go on from the top to the bottom of how good these guys are. But everything's got to line up, you know. The opportunity of the day, uh, you might you might dominate and win a race one week. Well, then the next week you might the best you can do is 15th. It's so hard to do. So there's a lot of respect to be had for people that are up front every week. Cause it is difficult. No matter, no matter how good your car is, no matter how good your pit crew or the engineers are, everything still has to go good. And it never hurts to have a little bit of luck. What is your favorite experience at the track? Well, man, I, I would say victory lane. That That's the, that's the ultimate goal for everybody. And there are some days where you might run the top 10 and you could say 10th place was a, a good day, or you could say fourth place was a good day. But uh, a few years ago had an opportunity to win the Daytona 500 with Logano. So I was spotting in 2015. That was a really cool opportunity because you don't realize how big that race is until you win it and see everything that happens after it's a it's a pretty big deal and that you can still say like i mean we're sitting here years and years after and uh and we brought it up and winning a couple of night races at bristol and some of the the cool things about my part is whenever you get a driver who has won their first race so there's several drivers that i've spotted their first ever nascar win and that's huge on, on I guess, the, the list of accomplishments because it's a career changer for you whenever you uh, win your first race. And, and you remain closer to some than others, but you've always been on that car whenever that happens. So those are cool things that happen at the track, that little moments that you, you, uh, you don't ever want to take for granted, but they're hard to come by. How much money do you make? <laughs> <laughs> that's a hard question. That's a hard question, <laughs> right? But you, th- th- this is like, I, I'll end on this one, but basically if somebody wants, want to be the next you, like what should they do? Like that's yeah. what they, I want to be a NASCAR spotter. Like what advice yeah. would you give to them? Yeah. So first of all, the money thing, every, is it ever enough? You know, I mean, no matter right. what happens, it's, but I can say that I personally and, and everybody that does it has a great opportunity to make a good living. So you're definitely comfortable and that the travel is fun, seeing the people's fun. And, and I think the things that I, that I like most about the sport is the friendships because 
it's like a traveling circus whenever whenever we're all most of us live in north carolina but there's a few people there we have a, a spotter lives in maine we have one that lives in idaho a couple live in tennessee and we all come together in the weekend like i have a, a gentleman that lives like one mile down the road that is one of my best buddies and I had to go to California to see him because <laughs> we're always we're always gone so much. But uh, so I think the friendships are are worth more than the money because you it's the connections you make and everybody looks out for each other and and you do you want to beat each other to death sometimes during the day, but then if you ever need anything, you're there for each other. I feel so. Yeah. The sorry. What was the second part of the question? The uh, Oh, if somebody wants to be the next oh, so, boy, man. So this is this is my 16th year spotting in the Cup Series in NASCAR. The first few years, I was actually on a pit crew changing tires. So I've been on that side of the fence also uh, doing pit stops. So man, I would say that if you want to, if you haven't been in racing and you want to to be the next uh a next up and coming spotter go to a short track start meeting people find everybody at a short track no matter if it's dirt asphalt everybody needs help find somebody if you see a car that you like that looks cool and and walk up to them meet them say hey man i want to i want to come on the weekends and help and you can start learning about the car learning the rules of, of the track and and you start meeting people that will then boost up and like, oh, this guy's going to go to run an ARCA race. And so you can maybe go help them and, and just step up the ladder. So, man, that, it's been a lifetime of learning. It, it's so hard for someone that because so many people think what we do is cool because it is pretty cool what we do. But once you're up on the roof and you're the one with the radio and you're the one with the button and a restart happens. You're like, Holy moly, these cars are going fast. <laughs> and so it's a lot of responsibility. And I would say start from the bottom because that way, when you get there, if you did get to the top, you're ready. Favorite NASCAR movie. <laughs> oh, NASCAR movie. Ah, you know, the, the I would ones say I days think of thunder. Of Days it has to be Days of Thunder, yeah. right? Yeah. I mean, Talladega Nights is funny. Don't get me wrong. But I'll watch it if it's on because it is hilarious. But yeah, Days of Thunder is pretty good. Do you think, though, that the pit crew guy got too much credit in Days of Thunder and they should have given more credit to the spotter? <laughs> well, see, back then, here. Back, back then, they had spotters, but they didn't have near the the responsibility I think that we uh, have today. Uh, I, I think that the role has progressed quite a bit. And uh, I like that. What do you think? You think it's going to change fundamentally again? Or do you think it's like, oh, it's pretty much what it's going to be. Well, you know, like this, this job is, it's not like they're going to invent some new technology and it's going to have a robot up there. Yeah. So they've kind of been dipping into that. They have these really, nice like a 4k rear view mirror that that they as a camera and whenever they're at the speedways we'll run this mirror but i don't think that that will replace what we do there i think there will always need to be a human element because 
there's too much on the line to just rely on technology. What if something shorts out and then you have yeah. nothing? And so I think that they would want the team to have some sort of responsibility for what happens on the track. But as far as everything changing, this new style car we have this year in the Cup Series has been a mega challenge because it's totally different than what any of the drivers have ever raced. It's different than what we've ever spotted. And to me, they look different on the track. The ride height looks different to me. They they have little ports under the tire that make the car look different in the corner. So I was just thinking, we had a meeting earlier today, and we were talking about how the car looked. And I'm like, they were talking about how the car felt. And I'm like, it's hard for me to see the car bounce the way that you're describing because the cars are different. The The tires are low profile. The wheels are bigger. The back of the car is a lot shorter. So our visual is totally different than it used to be. So it's a challenge. We're, we're learning every race about something new that the, the car might go faster with and, and things that we're seeing like the traditional race lines, like, high on the straightaway and diving to the bottom of the corner. There's a lot of places that they can change lanes and keep more momentum and be fast. And it, and it just looks strange to us, but we're watching the stopwatch. like, man, it don't look, don't look normal, but if it's fast, keep doing it. Um, oh, I did want to ask you. So you started doing these 60 second at the track thing. Yeah. Yeah. How'd you get that? Like, when did you start doing that? So what, was I the, started, what was the reason for it? I started doing that because I have my, my son is seven years old and he's starting to understand why dad's gone most of the weekends uh, of his young life. So uh, I started making these videos. Like he said, Hey dad, what do you like when he was about five years old? He said, what, what did you do this weekend? And I started listening off. I was like, hold on. I have a couple pictures. So, I would go through and show him pictures and describe it. Well, it turned into like, you know, I'm going to do little video clips. And so I downloaded a, a video editing app and I, I made a like a 60 second video saying this is what I did this week. And I started showing him. Well, a couple people saw it and then I put it on uh, Twitter or Facebook, but I put it on TikTok and it has really taken off. I think it's taken off. I mean, it, I don't have that many followers, but it's fun to see the interaction with people. So I started out showing my son what I do on the weekends. And then I just started doing it every week for, uh, for the fans. I want to thank tab so much for joining us. If you want to connect with him, we have linked to him on our social media accounts. We're profoundly pointless on Twitter, TikTok, and Instagram. And we've also included his information in the episode descriptions. He does these 60 seconds at the track. I know we talked about this a little bit, but they're really interesting and cool to check out because it gives you a real idea of not just what you see on TV, not just what you might see at the track, but just kind of an all-encompassing look at what's going on. It's really cool. Okay, now let's bring in John Shull and get to the pointless part of the show. What restaurant do you look like you work at? Oh man, what a question! Uh, I'm, you know what? I'm, I'm gonna, st- I'm gonna give myself uh, some confidence here. I'm gonna say like a Bonefish or a Carabas. 
I could actually see you working at like a nicer chain restaurant. I think I could pull it off at like a Olive Garden or a Carrabba's or a Bahama Breeze, something like that. I feel like you'd be a little bit too chipper, but do a good job. First off, I don't think there's anything wrong with uh, with overdoing it as a waiter wherever you are. Uh, I know somebody that works at a Holiday Inn, and like the highlight of their week is serving people to go breakfasts. So, I was told I look like I work at a Zaxby's. I mean, I I'm, I don't know if I've ever had Zaxby's, uh, but I I could give you like a uh, like a front uh, like a front cashier operator at uh, Chick Fil A. You do a good job there. I do look like I work at a Chick-fil-A. Like, I don't think I would be a manager, but I could see you being a manager of like a, a Denny's. Not like a high up manager, though. I'd be like a shift manager. <laughs> you'd be like you'd have the job that nobody wants is what you're saying. Yeah. What what is a uh, this is kind of on the on the same lines, but a little off. But what is a suitable amount of time to wait in the in a drive through to you? Oh, not more than 10 minutes. I, I don't care how good something is. I'm not going to wait more than 10 to 15 minutes for any kind of food. Do you eye up the cars in the in the parking lot that are waiting and go, this is far too, you know, there's way, it's going to be way too long. Yeah. 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 Okay. I'm driving right past it. Are, what, do you pull in line and then decide? I do. So uh, I, I do actually. I don't really have a time limit. Like if I'm in line. I'm I'm usually sticking out for the long haul, but I really only do that at, at maybe Starbucks, uh, maybe Taco Bell. Uh, you know, it's the 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 thing is if if you wait long enough, you start to ask yourself, what am I doing here? You know, see to me like all right, if I'm going to a restaurant and it's really busy, I'm not going to then go to another restaurant. I'm just going to go home because. No matter how busy it is, unless you get to really extremes, it's going to take you longer to get to somewhere else than it is to actually wait. I'll never forget, uh, and I still say this from time to time, but Papa Scholl, God bless him if he still listens, which I don't think he does. But if he did, uh, every time we'd be waiting in the drive-thru, he would always say, what, are you killing the cow in there? Do you Then do we have something that like younger generations and our children are going to look at us and be like, God, my dad always said that. My parents mm. always said that, right? Because that means that if our parents have these things, like we're going to have them too, and we don't know what it is yet. Well, I, I like I don't have a saying, you know, like be cool or hey, hot shot, you know, like I don't have a, I don't have a saying. Did I ever tell you what my father put on my mother's tombstone? <laughs> I'm serious. I believe that this is proof that God does not exist and that there is no afterlife. Okay, go ahead. I'm. I don't want to laugh, so I'm going to try not to. It's amazing. So okay. to me, this is proof that there is no God and that there is no afterlife. That my father on my mother's tombstone put, "It's not leftovers; it's planned overs." And if there was a God or an afterlife, she would have risen from the grave to murder him. Okay. All right. Uh, yeah. Whoever, if there was an all-powerful being, that man would have been struck down immediately. And if there was an afterlife, she would have risen from the grave to kill him. It's amazing. It's amazing, isn't it? I mean, I, I'm speechless. I don't even, like. Why is there a reason why that he had that saying? There is. There. That was her saying, 
right? Like she said, it's not leftovers, it's planned overs. And it would be kind of a family thing, right? Now, do you get that on the tombstone? No. I don't know about that, right? That's not the call that I'm going to make, right? Yeah, I, I feel that's like, you know, uh, a soldier dies in battle and on their, you know, on their tombstone you get, well, Bob was a good soldier, but obviously not good enough. Right. You know, like, it's what? like, that's, man. Yeah. Have you asked your father, like, what what the specific, you know, why dad? From his perspective, I do understand it. And I think that in a way, it's kind of my fault because we were at the gravesite. Imagine that. Right. We're at the gravesite and we're looking around. I'm like, man, everybody gets the same thing on their epitaph on the tombstone. These are all kind of the same. There's nothing different. And I think that then he was like, yep. I'm going to get <laughs> I'm going to get the saying she's been telling to me for 40 years just plopped on there. That may, listen, but you have to give it to him. That man they were together for 40 50 years. So he whatever's special to him is the right answer, right? You can't if that's what he wants, that's what he that's what he wants. I think you can have anything put on there. You're kind of giving me ideas for my end of life getting prepared now. What would you want yours to be? Oh, I'm. I mean, in all honesty, probably. I. I, I don't think I want to be buried. So I'm, I'm kind of boring. I go back and forth if I want to be cremated or buried. I just feel like being buried is such a. a t- you know, and once again, this is nothing against those of you that want to or whatever. But to me, why would I want to tax my family, my children? Why would I want to have a service? Just put me in an oven and then put me on 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 your mantle for the rest of your life to look at me. That's all I want. Here's the thing. My kids will probably like, you know, my oldest will probably get it and she'll put me in the basement, like in the corner of the basement where no one will ever see me. That's what I mean, right? Like, and I've never understood what happens to urns after the first or second generation, right? Like, so, all right, so you might have, your kids would have your ashes, but then like the grand, you go to the grandkids and they just keep you somewhere. (laughs) Like, that doesn't make any sense to me. Here's great grandpappy Shull. (laughs) He's still in there. All right, are you ready? You got all right, your yeah, shout-outs? That kind of went off. I, I enjoyed it. Uh, all right, let's give some uh, Oh, you enjoy live... talking about my mother's death. No. Thanks. <laughs> no. We uh, anyways, here's some shout-outs. Uh, Eric Caro, Abhi Kalana, Dustin Ribka, Joss True, Michael Rollmeyer. Wait a minute. Is that all one person's name, Michael Ribka, Josh True? No, that's uh, that's Two multiple people. names. Okay, all right, thank you. I'm all hopped up on Mountain Dew, man. I'm sorry. The, you know, the the thought of uh, us talking about you know the end of life has gotten me going, gotten me ready to make sure. Seize I go the out day, life. right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Carpe diem. Uh, uh, let's see. Paul Lamelli, Nina Satura, Sean Howard, and Tony Aguilar. Aguilar. Oh, I don't even need to need to see the name to know it's there is there is no L. There is no L. Aguilar. Yeah, Aguilar. Aguilar. And then uh, Patrick Francis Queenie. I double checked this person's handle, and there was no L. That's a good. uh, It's a good gravestone. uh, You know, thing. He used to check a lot of handles. I have changed my mind about this. My father has set a precedent. And we should now start having epitaphs that actually will tell you about the person, not like mother, father, sister, cousin, whatever, right? Give me some actual information on there, right? Like I want to actually know what that person was like, not these bland platitudes like John Shaw, 
ruined his liver with alcohol and Mountain Dew. Like, oh, okay. Yeah. There's he your tombstone, man. He must have lived life. Yeah. No. Like, huh. Okay. In, in this conversation that has gone left and right and all over the place, I actually think I'm going to have uh, the picture of me with all my wrestling medals with the semi-truck poster behind me on my gravestone. And it's just going to be that photo. That was for people who maybe have not heard this story. John has a iconic for him, at least picture of him as like an eighth grader looking in a solid 160 to 200 pounds with wrestling medals shirtless, which is just like, I was a big boy. You were, but it was like, it's, this is what, this is how I would sum up that picture. Such promise, but you were doomed. Like people like, right. That's exactly what it was. There was this, this young man has such promise, but everybody knew that's as far as he's getting. I tell you, we'll. Uh, I think we'll post it on our socials this week, and people can take a look for picture. themselves. Uh, all right, uh, what's worse? Uh, well, for I'm sorry. Oh my god, I forgot the most important part of this. I got a couple oh of bangers god. for you. Uh, <laughs> uh, what's worse, uh, living without air conditioning or without heat in the winter? Well, I mean, you could probably die without heat in the winter, <laughs> right? And you yeah, can but, uh, get through. Even okay, you could get through it without air conditioning. I live in Seattle, and up until last year, we didn't have air conditioning, and it wasn't that bad. As long as you don't get a string of really hot days, you can get through it. You're not happy about it, but you can get through it. You're a little bit miserable for about two hours during the heat of the day once it sets into your house, but then as soon as night hits, it's not that big of a deal. I think you need to actually have heat, right? I believe we need to maintain a steady body temperature. Here's the thing. I uh, you can create fire. You can create, you know, you can wrap yourself in blankets. Not in your right? house. Well, sure you can. You know, you can, you can if you don't have a fireplace. Yeah, whatever. Uh I, I'm not and I, this is coming from experience because my air conditioning just so happens just went out a few days ago. And having small like I, I feel like if it was just me by myself, I would be fine. I would be able to maintain. I'd be, you know, I'd sweat a lot obviously. Probably good for you. Uh, but having a family and children, no, no effing way the temperature's getting over 77 degrees and they're going to be able to go to sleep at night. So you're keeping your, th- what are you setting your thermostat at when your air conditioner is running? Uh, right now, cause obviously it's the hottest time of the year, probably 70. Are you serious? <laughs> For those of you who can't see Nick's face or tell by his tone, uh, he is shocked at this i i'm not just shocked i'm furious for the planet i I mean 70 is a reasonable temperature it's a reasonable temperature if you're a polar bear yes it is (laughs) i'm not i don't even look at the thermostat until it's pushing 78 if i had my way i would set my air conditioning at 82 and you can just suffer i'm not paying ten dollars extra a month Oh man, it's uh, well. Seventy-eight is the lowest I would be willing to go. The lowest. I mean, they they make a racket these energy companies, but you need it. You need it to be comfortable. Eight, seventy-eight is not comfortable. I'm sorry, it just it just isn't in your own house. If you get used to it, go in the basement. Sticky. Everything. Well, that's the other thing. Right now, I don't have access to the basement, which also sucks. So, I'll deal with the three four hundred dollar bill one month out of the year and I'll move on with my life. Uh, who would you rather save if you had to save one of these things, your wife, 
your dog or your children? Well, you save the children because they have a future. Yeah, sure. I may have said the dog joking, and then I thought about it, and I said, hmm, mm, okay. Yeah, dude, that's one of those things where, like, first of all, who's even asking you that question? Because that's not even a question that you have to ask somebody, right? It's, like, you know, as soon as the children are involved, the answer is the children. Now, I could see somebody, if you're talking about wife or a dog, like, oh, well, you know what? Honestly, I'd probably save my dog. Like, I can understand people have those kind of relationships, but in no instance in which you have a choice between saving children and anything else is it not going to be children. I don't want to, I don't want to discourage any parents out there, but, uh, from saving their children, I don't think you have to worry they, about it. I think they say that two is a tough age, two is not a tough age, three is and four is way tougher than two ever was. Okay, well, good. <laughs> Sorry, parent of the year over here, Nick Vinzant. Look, man, part of part of life is enjoying the struggle, right? I think that if you're having that difficult of a time, you've forgotten that part of life is enjoying the difficulties. That, no, look, man. the road's not supposed to be easy, man. None of this is supposed to be easy. And if it was easy, it, any of your accomplishments in the good times wouldn't be as good. So I always look at the bad times as being like, all right, this is part of it. You have to take that part of the deal. And the sooner that you accept that, the better your life is going to be. Man, I'll drink to that. Yeah, you got nothing. That was good. Jeez, yeah. I don't even know what to say. Wow. Yeah, go fuck yourself. I think we should <laughs> just have a segment like Nick's inspirational words. Let's uh, let's move on to our show, our tour, our show, to our top five. I'm pretty excited about it. Don't you have a current event? Or are you just giving up on this? I man, you can give up on it. About. But what's what's something that you're dying to want to talk about? What's one thing that's like, ooh, I want to talk about this? <laughs> we can replace that. What do you want to talk about? Anything besides Formula One? See, I mean, you know, oh, I, Jesus Christ. I mean, uh, yeah, there's, I mean, I mean, nothing. I mean, no one wants to hear what I want to talk about, which is fine. I have no issue. What do you want to talk about? Give me your top three things that you would always want to talk about. Like, if anybody would listen to you talk about this, you would talk about. Okay, it. you know what? Here we can we can talk about. You want to talk about something? Let's talk about this. There's a baseball player that turned down a almost five hundred million dollar contract. 15 yeah. years at like 455 was the contract. He, yeah. and he he's already made money by the way. He turned it down saying that he wanted more per year than what they were offering, saying like, you know, whatever that comes out to, he wanted like 10 more million per year. You are insane to me to to turn down any money like that, let alone a guaranteed contract worth almost half a billion dollars. Well, is he going to get more money? Get what you're worth. I don't know. It's about getting what you're worth. Like, if he's worth more than that, then it's not crazy for him to turn it down. Now, if this baseball player is getting this half a billion dollar contract and he's hit one home run in the last 10 years, then he's an idiot for turning it down. But I don't think you're an idiot for getting what you're worth if he's worth more than that. No, he's good, but he's he's not worth it, and he won't get it because the best player in baseball won't even get close to that. So... It just that blew my mind this week reading that, uh, you know, just I, I don't understand. I don't know if it's greediness. Obviously, none of us are in his shoes and, and never will be. Uh, it just it just blew my mind. You know, another thing that blew my mind uh, was a comet that came pretty close to Earth. When I say close, it was like two million miles away, but it was right. still pretty badass to look at. Oh, I didn't see it. I thought um, you were worried about the Earth getting blown up. No, you know, I've. 
you know, all the space talk we've had has kind of piqued my interest a little bit. So I've been, I kind of make it a point now to to check in on on, on space things. I, I kind of dig it. So thank space you is that. pretty cool, man. There's a lot out there. We're gonna yeah, have, uh, I don't know exactly when, but we interviewed the particle physicist at the Hadron Collider. Oh, nice Hadron hey, Collider. I like it. Hayden. <laughs> Hayden Christensen Collider. Uh, who knows. I hate you, but I respect it. I respect you know, it. It was the good. other thing. The other thing that's just in my mind is uh, Kim Kardashian got. She was somewhere, and she got off stage or something, or, or was walking through a hotel room. Goes up to Pete Davidson in front of all the the press and media, and goes, "Hey, do you want to take a shower with me?" And he's like, "Of course I do." Oh yeah, that's not staged at all. Like, well. Every man in their right mind thought two things when they watched that clip. One, who the fuck is Pete Davidson? And two, who is going to turn down that offer? Are you ready for our top five? Let's do it. Uh, so our top five is top five bodily sounds. I did not realize how many sounds your body makes. It makes a lot of noises. What's your number five? Uh, mine are all non-sexual, by the way. Just just throwing it out there. Uh, my number five. I'm gonna go with uh, the yawn to to kick it off. The that's pretty much it. I'm I'm okay with the yawn. I mean, it doesn't. I don't. I don't know why it's a good sound, right? Like I don't associate yawning with anything necessarily positive. <laughs> yeah, it's. I don't really think it is, right? It means that your brain's not getting enough oxygen or something. So. Yawn to get I can more, s- more air. I do like the sound of it, like a yawn, like that. <sighs> like it's a good sound. It <sighs> sounds good. Yeah. But I don't associate it with positivity. Sounds relaxing. Uh, my, sounds nice. Sounds relaxing. Oh, I guess, yeah. Okay. Uh, my number five is a hiccup. See, I don't uh, associate that with positivity. That's annoying. That's one of those sounds that's annoying as all hell. Yeah, but I like it when other people have hiccups. Like, I I feel better about their misfortune. Do you know how to stop the hiccups? Not really. I know of all of the different ones of, like, hold your breath, drink a full glass of water, scare yourself, blah, blah, blah. But I don't think any of those actually work. I think that you just go down the list long enough that eventually it just goes away. <laughs> no, drink a glass of water upside down, and that'll that'll cure them of your... That'll You've appear. actually done that. I have multiple times. Every actually, every time I get the hiccups, thanks to my wife. Wait a minute. How are you drinking it upside down? Like you're standing on your head, drinking a glass of water. Oh, you just hold. You put your head down, and then you take the cup. You know, put your arm inverted and and lift it towards your mouth, and then it's it's upside down. I don't understand how that's upside down, though. Okay, let's just move on. Uh, my number four is uh, snapping your fingers. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah, just it's just you know, usually fun positivity. You know, just hey, my girl, boo doo, you know, it's a, it's always fun. To snap okay. your finger. or like little John said, snap your fingers. You can do it all by yourself. Let me see you do it. Sorry. I'm going to give that number three on one of the worst experiences of my life. <laughs> I, uh, I just went for it. I went for I it. I was and... horrified. I'm sorry. 
just horrified for you, for me being here, for your family. Yeah! That was one of the worst experiences of my life, honestly. I'm only half sorry, to be honest. Thank you for that. (laughs) Right? It's terrible. But remember I was talking earlier that, right, like you embrace the terribleness because how bad that experience just was made the rest of the list that much better that I had to go through that, right? Like you can't get up. You can't get down. Yeah, Uh, y'all. My number number four is a gasp. Like, (gasps) okay, gasp is a good. Once again, I feel like gasping is like, it's not good. It's like, (gasps) he just shit himself, you know, or like, (gasps) you know, fucking we just found out right. R- rocky murdered his mom on something or something you know so right you're about to find it's like something just happened man like there's some excitement there's always excitement going along with it <gasps> true true whether it's gossip or you just saw something all right it's a good sound what's your number three uh a laugh laughing how are you gonna put that at number three because my number one and two are pretty badass and if you don't even have an idea of what they are, then, then you know, you're, you don't know me. First of all, you've never made any woman make that kind of a sound, okay? So let's, <laughs> let's pump the brakes on that one, right? I, that, it's not, I told you it's nothing sexual. No, no, there's not one sexual sound in my, in my top five. My number three is not sexual, but it can't be a sigh. Once again, you I feel get like that yours right kind like, of... they're not positive. It's like a gasp or a yawn or no. a sigh. You get the right kind of sigh from a woman or whoever you're attracted to. Well. Oh. Mm. <laughs> Come on now. All right, what are you what's your number two? Uh as my dog is barking crazily in the background. Apologize for all that. Uh my number two is a good old burp. Good old, good old fashioned. Just let it go. I don't like burps. That's I. I would put that on probably. That could be number one on my worst bodily sounds. I don't like a good burp, even if it's like good or people who are like burpers and they do it on purpose. I don't like the sound of a burp. I never have. That's the burp to me is disgusting. (laughs) <laughs> I have no problem though with my number two, which is a fart. I find a fart to probably be the funny. It's always funny. You may not be in the mood, but a fart is always funny. That that's my number one is a good old fashioned fart. Yeah, it's pretty. That's I would put it at number one, but my number one is a laugh. I don't know how you go better than a laugh. Because, I mean, nothing nothing beats a fart. I mean, nothing. Beats a fart because never... every fart is they're like zebras. Every fart is different. I've never seen you this excited about. Talk. I mean, look, I as a person who was born without a sense of smell, I appreciate a good fart sound because I suffer no repercussions of the actual fart itself. But I still can't put it ahead of a laugh. I fucking love it. I love fart. I love farting. I love farts. I do love farting. I I mean. Farting anywhere, it's funny. Like I, I don't, I, I could be in the middle of a, whatever, a board meeting, and somebody could fart, and I'm gonna be the person that's like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I agree. Sorry. Yeah, I was thinking about this the other day in regards to farts. Do you realize how many times people probably fart in public for every time you hear a public fart? 
So if you hear a fart in public, people have probably farted a hundred times for every audible fart. Think of how much people fart in public. Yeah, that's, you, man, that's a lot of farting. You talk you think, about me ruining the ozone with my air conditioning. Imagine all the gases that are being dispersed into the atmosphere. What do you think is the ratio between herd farts and let farts in public? Like for every one herd fart, there's 10. For every one herd fart, there's 100 farts. One to 1,000. Like how many no. farts do you think are let in public for every fart that you hear? I'm going to say probably one, probably one, uh, 50, 50 to one, I think probably that's what i'd say oh i think it's probably one out of 100 especially if you get to talking about adults <laughs> oh man i mean just for i listen i understand it might be a little uh immature to laugh and and so much at farting but uh they're just that's the funny. best yeah it's just you hilarious a good fart i think it's immature to not act like it's funny like oh you farted who cares who right. gives a shit like it's hilarious. Your butt is easily the funniest piece of your body. All right, you just want to move on to my uh, honorable. Yeah, let's mentions? go on to your top honorable mentions. All right, <laughs> uh, let's see. So I have uh, tapping your feet, uh, clapping your hands, uh, whistling. I think whistling probably be my strong number six for me. Uh, and then I also put snoring or humming. I can see, though my honorable mention would be humming. I mean, that's a good, I would associate that as a positive sound. Singing, I don't really count that as like a sound that yeah, your body it's makes. It's just, it's, it's, you're just talking in a different way. Yeah, um, sure. I don't, somebody gets a good knuckle crack, like a, ooh. Yeah. But see, though, those, like, I have a couple people that I work with that I'll remain nameless, but like, they'll crack their hips, they'll ooh. crack their knees, and like, they do it. Uh, probably now because they know like I think it's a reaction, but man, somebody cracks a hip and you're like, fuck, like, what is loud. wrong? Like, oh, it's loud and it's kind of violent sounding too. My wife can crack her back like all the way up. Like, and it's oh, like, that can't be healthy for you. There's nothing that, yeah, that's probably not should be happening. Yeah, um, that's pretty much all my honorable mention, honestly. <laughs> I don't mind a good like, um, Oh, what is it? Like a... Well, you do that all the time for some reason. Do you still do it? We're like... <laughs> oh, this sound that I make? This... Well, I just sound like I'm drowning, but yes, I... Whatever yeah. you do. There's a couple of people in my family who make it. Me, my sister, and one of my sons makes it. It's a terrible yeah. sound, but it's like... Yeah. <laughs> you sound like a fucking toad having sex it's awful. or something. Yeah, it's, it's awful, terrible. But it feels great. It's not one of the best bodily sounds, I can tell you that. It is It is the bodily sound equivalent of cleaning your ears with a Q-tip. <laughs> okay, fair enough. Okay, that's going to go ahead and do it for this episode of Profoundly Pointless. I want to thank you so much for listening. If you get a chance, subscribe. Leave us a rating or a review. We really appreciate it. It really helps us out. Let us know what you think are some of the best bodily sounds. I feel like we're also going to have to do the worst bodily sounds, which will probably also include a lot of the things on this list. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. 
Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.